First or Second Timothy chapter one this morning. What a what an apropos message this morning with baby dedications and new members and all those things. And what a great group of people. Thank you so much for being here. Parenting godly children in an ungodly world. Uh, I think we've demonstrated that the world is not getting more like Jesus, but hey, I, I sometimes get tired of voices that constantly lament that. There's never been a generation that had it easy. It's always been an uphill battle to serve the Lord. Say amen if you believe that. Second Timothy, I want to just preach straight, straight from God's word. Second Timothy chapter one, beginning in verse five, Paul writes this. I have been reminded, he's talking to Timothy. Timothy, I've been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. Father, in this great group, Lord, not everyone here is a parent. Some have children that are already grown and are moved out. Many have grandkids. Some have great-grandchildren. Some have yet to have children. Some aren't even married yet. But Father, all of us are people of influence in the development of young people's lives, whether it be employees, whether it be uh, neighbors, whether it be our own children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, nephews, nieces, family relations, Lord, we all bear influence in the lives of people as they develop. I pray these principles, Lord, would impact each of us in Jesus' name. Amen. How do you impact someone's life, Out even, even outside the realm of parenting, but certainly in the realm of parenting? How do you bring influence into a life so that that life might trust in the Lord? Anybody interested? Say Amen. Let me give you five quick principles from this section of Scripture in 2 Timothy chapter 1. Number one, you've got to live a life of consistent integrity. I want you to know without a shadow of a doubt that what you are, to some extent, every young life that you bring direct influence with, they're going to be like you. So step number one, if, if you look at your life, if you've ever been prone to say, you do what I do and not, or do what I say and not what I do, I want you to know that does not, has not, will not work. They're going to emulate what you are. Even in those who try to escape that pattern, they're still going to be bound up in the dysfunction that you poured into them. They're going to have to, it's going to take great grace and great adjustment from the Spirit of God for them to be something more than that. So if you want them to be good citizens, good people, have great lives, and how many of you want your kids to have great lives, say amen then you need to commit right now to live consistent lives of integrity. Yes. Now, I, I'm not, I'm, for just a minute, let me deviate, and this might seem strange, from Christian principles. Even if you don't want to pass on, and I don't know why you wouldn't, and I sure don't know why you'd be here, but even if you're not committed to passing on Christian values, and you just want to make good, I mean, you just want people that'll get up and go to work, all right? Then you've got to be somebody that gets up and... If you, want to, if you want to produce, you know, offspring, if you want to produce a genealogy of people that follow behind you that are well-educated and make good grades, then you have to be well-educated. At least you have to value those things. So you have to be consistent and a person of integrity, a person that's whole. Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, Paul says to Timothy, I have been reminded of your sincere faith, Timothy, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. 
Listen, if you want to pass on to the next generation a strong, abiding, living faith, then you must have a strong, living, abiding faith, and you must demonstrate that in the lives of your children and your grandchildren. Timothy became who he was because of the example of sincere faith that, he was, first, that was first evidenced in his mother through his life and his grandmother. You have great influence in the lives of those around you, Use it, but be consistent and be a person of integrity. The primary virtue here is one of consistency. It's been said of millennials, of the millennial in a Forbes magazine article, a great magazine article, and then it was picked up by a gentleman that does a consistent podcast that I listen to. He said, if you're going to employ millennials, you need to get your mind around the fact that you are not only going to be an employer, you're going to have to start being a parent. Because many of them never had one. They've never been taught about what it means to be the kind of workers that you want them to be. It would be easy if you could just pay them and they would just do an outstanding job. But we're living in a generation of young people who have never had parents. Not all of them, but many of them come from broken, dysfunctional homes. And when you begin to interact with them, you need to be people that live a life of consistent integrity. Show them what it means to be upright people. Say amen. Amen. I'm moving really quickly. Number two, by word and deed, encourage your children in regard to their faith and in life. Verse six says, for this reason, I remind you, Timothy, to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. I'm going to hit this point the hardest this morning because I think it's the most significant one for this group at this time in this place. Paul encouraged Timothy to not grow lukewarm in his faith, but to do those things that led to a strong faith. Church family, those of you under the sound of my voice, those of you that are watching via the stream this morning, I want you to know that we live in a world, whether you like to admit it, regardless of your political affiliations, we live in a world that is overtly caustic to faith. It's working, whether anybody is trying to or not. Whether anybody gets up and says, you know what, I'm going to try to develop a scheme to erode the faith of a generation. Whether or not anyone has that, any person has that as their unique design, I want you to know that that is taking place. There is a constant bombardment for our young people that tries to erode their faith. It tries to say to them, faith is irrelevant. Faith is old. Faith is ridiculous. Live your life. Do what you want. If it feels good, do it. That's not new. But there is this constant attack upon biblical beliefs. Now listen, I'm not wild. And if you're here this morning, and I know i got a bunch of guests this morning, and I'm so glad you're here. And you may not know me that well, but I'm not really wild about empty church tradition. I didn't grow up in this. I'm a refugee who swam ashore, and I am happy to be here. All right? I got here because I wanted something more for my life. I wanted to break a cycle in my lineage. I came to faith in Jesus because it makes sense. Life really is made better because of the teachings of the Scripture. For, yeah, okay, that's good. Yeah, listen. But all of you that are clapping your hands, you agree with me. I'm talking to those who don't. I want you to know that life, forget church for a minute, life, marriage, money, kids, work, life, health is better if you'll do it the way Jesus said to do it. Forget that there's a heaven. Forget any of the rest of that. It just works better. You say, what does better mean? You pick it. 
You, you can stay married to somebody longer with Jesus than you can without him. You can have more money in the bank. Woohoo! If you'll just live your life according to the principles of the scripture. You can have relationships that are more meaningful, that are more deep, that are more impacting in your life. You'll be a better friend. You'll be a better employee. You'll be a better boss. You'll be a better student. You'll be a better person if you never come to church, if you live according to biblical principles. Now, why would you want to do that? Because heaven is a real place, and you don't want to end up in hell someday. So add Jesus, give your life to him, have all of that stuff. There's even a verse that talks about that. It says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all of the stuff of this world will be added in the right proportions if you'll just put Jesus first. But adults, you and I have to live a life of consistent integrity so that by word and deed we encourage our children in regard to their faith. This world is caustic to faith. So you and I, listen, let me get off of faith for a second and just encourage you. If you're going to raise good kids, you're going to have to be an encourager. There's a whole world full of people that'll bring them down, tell them they're not something, tell them that they can't be something. There's a whole system that tells them that they want to amount to something, that the girls have to be a particular thing. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago, that women are supposed to be a certain thing. And if you're not, you're not valued. Young men, you've got to be a certain thing and act a certain way. And I want you to know that there's a constant bombardment, adults, bombardment of voices that say to our kids, you're not enough. You're not good enough. You're not good looking enough. You're not smart enough. You don't dribble well enough. You don't dunk fast enough. Oh, that that would be a part of my life. All right. You're not tall enough. You're not hairy enough. Sorry, Stephen. You know, but then a couple of years ago, the sexiest man in the world was bald. And I went, yeah, finally. All right. But there's this constant shifting thing of image and position and power and reputation and most of us are never going to be that and so there got to be voices parents and that's got to be you that tell your kids you're great you're wonderful you're smart you're beautiful you're a treasure young daughter you're a wondrous young man there's got to be voices that lift them up and that's got to be you and me amen if you're a parent that only, if you feel like your primary role is to tell your kids what they're doing wrong, you have missed the most powerful opportunity you're ever going to have. And that is to build them and to construct them and to encourage them and to lift them so that they think they're somebody when the world tells them they're not. And I don't mind telling you, don't you love hanging around people that constantly build you up? Oh, you're... Come on, how many of you watch? There are a couple of people here that I mean, I could preach the worst warm double. I mean, it's just awful. I don't even want to preach it, all right? Because I can tell you right now, the worst thing in the world is not hearing a dull, dead sermon. The worst thing in the world is preaching one. But there are people in this church that every Sunday, they come up to me and they go, oh, pastor, that was so good. My goodness, that is truth. I mean, they say things like this. Now, I don't any more believe them than the man on the moon. But I just cannot find it in me to disagree with them. Some of you, you know, the, it's, I don't mind telling you, I'll walk around you to get to that. How are you doing? Oh, thank you. Thank you. Why? Because everybody wants to be around somebody that encourages them. 
Parents, you want to be mentors in your kid's life. You want to have them keep coming around long after you're not giving them allowance money anymore and you're not buying their tires. You want them to keep coming back and keep wanting to spend time with you, rearrange their struggle. You don't want to be a part of that song that says, you know, when I got old, my kid never came around anymore. You want to be the ones that they keep coming back to be an encourager in their life. They will still hang around you when you are no longer cool and no longer paying them to do so. All right? Be an encourager. Lift them up. But especially, listen, encourage them in regard to their faith. This world will dilute. It is constantly attempting to dilute your child's faith. And I I cannot say this strongly enough. Don't you be an ally with the world in reducing your child's faith. Some of you are unwilling allies in the world stripping the faith out of your kids. You put them in, and listen, I'm, I'm, I'm not anti-anything. I grew up in the assemblies in a time where if it was fun, you couldn't do it. You'd say somebody, what is sin? Is it fun? Yeah, it's sin. All right? You couldn't. There was actually a deal in the Constitution bylaws of the district that I grew up in that said that you couldn't go to a rodeo. And I was like, I don't know about you, but I don't find a lot of temptation at a rodeo. No, no. You know what I mean? Ball games. Ball game. Oh, can't go to a ball game. Can't go to a rodeo. And I'm like, bonk, air ball. That, 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 that didn't do nothing for me. I wasn't lured away from God. Listen, I understand that some of our traditional approaches have not been biblically centric. And, and, and listen, I'm not trying to pick a fight with the past. There are things dangerous, though. Don't put your kids in things that dilute their faith. Don't substitute things for church and the presence of God. Say, tell your kids, no, you can't. Why? Because that thing meets on Sunday. What? You, you, you mean, yes. Establish a, don't you be a willing ally with the things that drain the faith out of your kids. Don't be an unwilling ally. Don't, don't not recognize that there are things that you do that encourage your kids towards the things of God. And there are things without even trying that you can do that will strip the faith out of your kids. Establish encourage in your children a trust. Give them a reason for what you believe. Don't tell them just because I said so. Now, when they're in kindergarten and they say, I don't want to come to church, and you say, listen here, you little naked thing. You better get your clothes on. Get in that car. We're going to church. That's okay. Now, if you're still doing that when they're 15, you got a problem. All right? They need to have developed. They need to have seen in you. They need to have been encouraged by you in a genuine faith, in a faith that becomes theirs. It's not the faith of their mom and dad. It becomes their faith because you encouraged it. You fanned it. You you poured life onto it. Speak life into their faith. Don't place your children in situations. Don't you place them in situations where they have to defend their belief. Because the world's going to do that to them without your help. And let me say one more thing. Recognize that throughout the history of the world, since we've been writing things down, what one generation does in moderation, that a generation that comes behind them does to a more excessive form. 
So if you say, listen, there's a thing, and I think it's sort of a gray area for Christians, but I'm going to, and I'm not telling you what that is. You work it out. And if you do it in moderation, every generation since the history of mankind, with some rare exceptions, every generation goes further than you did. Now watch this. There are multiple places in the Bible where it says this. And there arose a generation that knew not the Lord. Do you know how that happened? Because if you back up, you'll find a generation that was fervent in their love for the Lord. And then the next generation allowed something, cooled in some way, moved a little bit away. And then the next generation, they moved a little further away. And then the next, until eventually there arose a generation that didn't know the Lord at all. So parents, encourage your kids' faith. Not just in what you say, but in what you do. Amen? Because how many generations are your ancestors away because of us, because of you, from not knowing the Lord at all? I just want that sobering thought to sink in on you when you start deciding where your family is going to live and what you're going to be and what you're going to do, encourage your kids' faith. Don't diminish it. Don't place things in a way that contradict what you believe. Number three, real quickly, let me move through these. Teach your children that God's power is real and available. First, verse 7 says, For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. Teach your kids to be bold for Jesus. I love, there's a growing group here. I love it. I love it. I love it. There's a growing group of teenagers here, and they're getting a little crazy for Jesus. See, that's all you, that's all you church people again. They're getting, they're getting to where, now listen, they're getting to where Jesus is getting more and more centric to their life. Some of them don't come from families where that's been encouraged. They're finding it here. I want you to know that there is nothing, there is nothing on the world more evangelistic, more crazy for Jesus, more willing to take risk, less concerned about what anybody thinks than a really crazy for Jesus teenager. You know why? They don't have a job that they can lose if they tell somebody about Jesus. They're not paying their own bills. They don't have a reputation yet that they're worried about maintaining. They get and they love a cause. So adults, let your kids know that it's all right to be crazy in love with Jesus. Bold for Jesus. Over the top, nuts about Jesus. Watch this. Uncool for Jesus. Yeah. Just talking to anything about Jesus. Why? Because there'll never be a period of time in their life where they're more available to represent Jesus than they are now. There'll never be a time where they're more oriented towards a cause than they are right now. There'll never be a time when they're more teachable, more swayable, and their friends are more likely to come to Jesus before their 18th birthday than they'll ever be afterwards. So let's encourage the teenagers around here and the kids around here to just be bold with their witness, not be timid, but have a spirit of power come upon them so that the thing that they're not... I love it when... I've only had this happen a couple of times, but I get reports back from school systems and they go, hey, pastor, you're the pastor of that church that's got those kids, right? Yep, that's me. Yeah! Hey, they asked me to let them have a Bible study, and I've actually been in school systems much smaller than this, where groups of kids got a reputation because of their evangelism. 
Come on, that's awesome. Somewhere there ought to be a group of people that says, yeah, you crazy kids, get them. Amen? And that they become bold and courageous. You need to encourage that. Don't ever let it be said, now listen, you need to, you need to calm down with that Jesus stuff. Listen, let them calm down when they get old. Just let them go ahead and be nuts for Jesus right now. Amen? Let them be stirred up. Let them be bold. If they say, Mom and Dad, we're all getting up at 1 in the morning. We're going to have a special prayer time. You go, yeah. Now, don't wake me up when you leave, but go. (laughs) Amen? Encourage them to be bold for Jesus. There ought to be some adults in their lives. Teach them that God is for them. Teach them that prayer is powerful. Some of you adults here ought to say to your teenager, hey, come with me. Where are we going? We're going to the furnace, baby. (laughs) What? Yeah, drag them with you. Get your clothes on. Get in the car. We're going to the furnace. Why? Teach them that prayer is powerful. And it's your first recourse, not your last. Two more real quickly. Number four. And number four, I think if you're going to raise great kids, this one is the most important. If if you're not going to do this one, then your testimony and your prayer, and certainly number five that I'll give you in a minute, it's never going to work. Number four, love unconditionally. Love your kids. You say, oh, that comes natural. No. No, it doesn't. I know a lot of parents who don't love their kids. You say, oh, yeah, they, what what do you mean? Every mom, every dad, no, no. Not, not this way. Set your life aside for the spiritual well-being of your kids, for their well-being. I don't believe in parents that just do everything for their kids. That's not what I'm saying. But your love ought to be immense and deep and tangible and felt and heard and seen. Verse 7, Paul says, For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a timidity but a spirit of power and of love a spirit of love I put this down just like this and this is leading to number five but do not discipline your kids if you have not loved them let me say it again do not dads if you're in the room and all you are is an ogre who comes in to bring the whippings and the heavy quit Stop doing it, because you're going to make bitter, angry, abusive kids out of them. It is people that get disciplined do not turn into abusers. People that are not loved and are disciplined turn into abusers. Love them unconditionally. I've even put a formula on it. This is my own recipe. You ought to have 10 times as much love as you have discipline. If you need a lot of discipline, then you're going to need a lot of love. If you've got a kid that requires a lot of discipline, you better heap the love on them. You better noogie that head every time you get a chance. Y'all know what that is. You need to hug them. They need to hear it. They need to feel it. Dads, you need to be drawing your sons up to you and say, hey, I need, and listen, dads, don't give me that. Well, I wasn't raised that way. Okay, you weren't raised that way. That doesn't mean your kids got to be not raised that way. Amen. Come on. Grab them. Pull them up to you. Hey, not head. I don't know where that came from. That's what my dad used to tell me. Hey, not head. All right. I love you. Slow him down along. Hey, 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 come back here before you leave. Come here. I know you're in a hurry. I know you're late. I know that you got the most important hamburger ever waiting for you out there, but come here. 
Before you leave this house, I want you to know dad loves you. Mom loves you. Come here, give me a hug. Give me a kiss. What? Give me a kiss. <laughs> dad, I'm 18. I don't care how 18 you are. You give me. You say, yeah. Dads don't kiss their sons. Baloney. Kiss them. Hug on them. John, Jonathan, get, get, give your dad a kiss right now. Come on. Yeah. John, reach over and grab him. Grab him. Pull him. Mwah, give him a kiss. There you go. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Now, Jonathan, I'm picking on you. But watch this. John Bowling Jr., how much money would you pull out of your pocket right now to give John Bowling Sr. a kiss? Now, Jonathan, that's your future, buddy. Parents, love on them. Love on them. Love on them. Tell them. Grab them. Hug them. Don't let them be those kids that grow up and say, I grew up in a home where that wasn't the way we acted. Love on them. Because when you do, you establish the platform upon which you pour the truth of the gospel and you pour the principles that you want to pass on. It is that love that is the foundation upon which you stand for everything else. And if you neglect to do that, they're not going to hear a thing you do. Ten times as much love as discipline. Teach your child to be loving. It always embarrasses him when I talk about this, but I do it all the time because it's one of the things that makes my life good. All y'all know Jack, my son? He's like that big and eats everything. <laughs> my wife doesn't buy a lot of special treats for me, but, but one of the things from my childhood that I love, and every time I say this, like three of y'all go out and buy them and put them, don't do that, I don't need them. But I love Nutty Bars. Y'all know Nutty Bars? I'm convinced that the marriage supper of the Lamb is going to be Nutty Bars. <laughs> nutty Bar and a glass of milk, that makes the world a good thing, all right? Leanne bought me a big old, one of them big boxes of Nutty Bars. Before, they, before I opened them, I looked at Jack and said, hey, you stay out of these Nutty Bars. I love you, but I'm going to hurt you if you get these Nutty Bars. <laughs> big old kid, one of my favorite things. I don't know how many times a day it happens. I hope it never stops happening. Just at random times, I'll be walking into the room. He'll come. He'll see me. Happens here. Doesn't matter where he is. He'll walk up to me. And it's just, I don't know what you'd call it. It's not, it's sort of a hug, but it's sort of a, it's sort of a crushing, mash the life out of your thing. Because he's a big, and he'll just lean over on me. He puts his head on my shoulder and mashes me into the floor. All right? If I'm in a chair, he'll come over and he'll bend down and he just puts his, he just like puts his head right here. I don't know if he's passing out or if he's loving on me, but I, all right? And he just leans over into me. Yeah, it's good like that. It sure is. And he's 17. He still does it. Why? Because I've always loved on him. Loved on the girls. <laughs> This is one of my things, and Becca hates it. I love coming up behind her when she doesn't know I'm coming, swat her on the rear. Not like, a, not like a whack, but a pop. I really love it when she doesn't know it's me. Or I'm somewhere where she doesn't know I am. 
And she, she turns around and says, Dad. And she used to say, like, they may not know you're my dad. I think they're figuring it out pretty fast. All right. Becca and Hannah, but it started with Becca all the time. We'll, she'll send me a text. I'll send her a text and we'll end it with MFF. Becca, what does that mean? She can't say it because you'll get all teary-eyed. Most first and forever. When she was a little bitty girl, I started telling her, I love you the most. I loved you first. And I will love you forever. MFF. Most first forever. We put it on everything. Sometimes she won't even leave a note. Just MFF. You got to love on them, church. Come on, you got to let them know you love them. And it's got to be unconditional. When they mess up, they know I love them. When I'm disappointed in them, and when you have to discipline them, it is not the discipline. It's the separation from that love that gives you leverage. You got to love them. Amen? Number four, love unconditionally. Fathers, let me just touch on that. That's incredibly important for you in the world we live in today. It's important for everybody, but dads, dads don't do that as much anymore. And we have this thing that's going on in our world where men are supposed to be something else. I tell you what, I'm going to love on my wife and I'm going to love on my kids. Say amen. Amen. Finally, number five, in that context, not outside of that, but in that context, provide discipline that leads to self-discipline. Verse seven says, and God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. People that live without any discipline in their lives never learn to discipline themselves. We live in a world that is suffering because of a lax attitude concerning childhood discipline. I'm not talking about corporal punishment. That's not what I'm talking about. There may be children that that's necessary for. I'm talking about discipline, parameters. This is how you behave. This is what you do. This is what's expected. You will clean your room. You will make your bed. You will not sass your mom. (laughs) Oh, I'm sorry. I got kind of carried away there. All right. There are parameters that are expected of you. I'm convinced that children are growing up in places where there are very few parameters. Talk to any of our educators. Talk to any of our administrators. And ask them what it's like to try to educate kids that have grown up in places where they've never had any parameters, where mom and dad didn't have any parameters. It's almost impossible for those people to grow into well-adjusted people. You're not helping your kids if you don't put parameters around them. If you don't discipline, create some discipline parameters. You will speak to an adult this way. You will behave this way. You will do this kind of work. You will make this grade. You will clean this. You will this. You will not be this. You will get home and come on. Parameters are good for children. Amen. You're not stifling your children's development by putting parameters, by putting discipline in their life. You're stunting them if you don't. I'm convinced that children suffer in the following ways when there is no discipline. They suffer emotionally. They don't learn how to emotionally react well with the world because eventually the world is going to put parameters on them. And if they haven't already experienced that, they're going to short circuit emotionally and they don't know how to react to the parameters that have suddenly been put and it's unjust and it's not right but if they grow up in a home that's had those parameters they have learned how to emotionally react they're relationally stunted when they don't do that they don't know how to react to people they don't know how to be in relationship with people if they've not learned that there are places you don't there are places you don't go in relationships there are things you can't do healthy relationships have these boundaries in them 
And you're not helping them if you don't create those boundaries. You're stunting them educationally. And we can all imagine what that's like. You must do your homework. Because people don't buy that dog ate it thing anymore. All right? Because it's all digital. (laughs) Dog ate my whole computer. Yeah, come on. You stunt them financially if you don't put parameters on them. Someday they're going to have to earn money. I make a joke of it. Every now and then, we still had it happen. We have cars out here in our parking lot that do donuts and mess up our newly painted lines. And when I catch them, I'm going to apply some parameters to their life. All right? We, just so you know, we have a camera system now, outside and inside. Evan, I'm after you, buddy. I'm convinced that the people doing donuts with their tires don't yet buy their own tires. All right? When they do, they'll quit doing that. You stunt them financially and finally... You stunt them spiritually. Let me close with this. The world has proposed that because God's love is unconditional, it has no expectations. Does God love every person regardless of how they behave? Yes. Absolutely. God is not loving. Otis, would you come back? And and, yeah, just with the keyboard, please. God loves every person unconditionally. Even people that will be separated from him for eternity are loved by him unconditionally. He doesn't, he never stops loving. It's not who he is. He's not loving. He is love. God loves you even if you're outside his purpose for your life. He loves you. But there is an expectation in that love. Come through Jesus Christ. Accept his free gift of salvation. Submit to the lordship of Jesus. Will God stop loving you if you don't do that? No, he won't. But the world has sort of imposed this thing on the church that says, well, if you tell someone about what sin is, you don't love them. Well, to me, it's exactly backwards. If I don't tell you what sin is, that's when I don't love you. If I really, if I really believe this and I don't tell you about it, care about you if I really believe there's a heaven and a hell and I do and I don't tell you about the expectations of God as it relates to salvation in Jesus I'm I'm the ultimate unloving person so often it's how you say it that matters if you're here this morning and you've not been maybe you've not been or you didn't have great parents maybe you're just coming to the place in life where you're thinking about being a parent Maybe you're a grandparent and you're already past that stage in life. Maybe you're questioning what it is to be a Christ follower this morning. I just want to leave you with one thought and we're going to stand in with our pray. The very, if you're here this morning and you say, I don't think I was a very good parent. What if I told you that a perfect parent in a perfect environment ended up with rebellious kids. That, that's true. Who was it? God the Father. Perfect in every way. Created a perfect environment that he put his kids in. Their names were Adam and Eve. And in a perfect environment with a perfect parent, they still rebelled against him. So give yourself a break. If God can't raise perfect kids, neither can you. 
regardless of that, God's got a purpose for you and for your kids, and you're here to bring influence, and you're here to touch them for the kingdom of God. So would you do something for me this morning? Would you stand? We got such a big everybody up at the front this morning because of concerns. But I just wonder this morning, heads, would you bow your heads with me? Just Lots of guests in the rooms, and I don't want to miss an opportunity. Are you here this morning and you don't know Jesus? I didn't ask you if you knew his name. You don't know him. Every head bowed, every eye closed, please. Don't be looking because I'm going to use that as a response. If I see your eyes, I'm going to think you're responding to me. You don't know, you don't have a relationship with him. I want you to know that he loves you unconditionally. But he does have some expectations. He created a way for you to be saved. And that if you miss that way, it will be your free will that separates you from God for an eternity, not his love or lack of it. He is a great parent. He's a great father. But you get to choose. That's the way he created mankind with free will. And you get to choose what you do. I want you to know that by my experience, but also in the authority of God's word, that there is no life more fulfilling, more wondrous, more filled with love and adventure and goodness and hope and joy and resource than a life lived with Jesus in the middle of it. There is fun in sin for a little while. The Bible even says that. And you say, if I become a Christ follower like you're talking about, I'm going to miss out on a lot of fun. You know what? You are going to give up some things. But I promise you, on the authority of God's word and my experience, he's going to replace those with things far better, far better than anything you laid down.